Hey there, welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song -song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, today we're hitting the center of March 16th through 20th, 1992. So I guess it's evening of the 18th. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm still just calling the album March because that's what I'm doing. Yeah, songs covered today are Black Eye, Moonshiner, and I Wish My Baby was born yeah only one original track yeah and i got thoughts about that <laughs> um, not, not, you know not not bad thoughts i guess do your thoughts include like wishing that there weren't so many traditional songs on this album I, yeah um i guess i'll keep my powder dry until we get to i wish my baby was born but uh i don't know yeah so odd Odd pairing this week. Yeah, this is a weird stretch. We got like this is the this is a classic high highs, low lows section. Before we before we dig in, should we talk about the elephant in the room? This be your sporting event? No, no. This would be this would be me acknowledging that your lifelong feud with Ryan Adams was justified. Oh shit! Yes, that I, I, I actually I thought you were going to talk about either skidoring or taco there. I knew it. Yeah, Ryan Adams. Man. That... So for those that, that, well, I mean, virtually no one is in the know about this, but Keith has had like a soft feud with Ryan Adams since, I don't know, 2000? I, I, Going on 20 years. Yeah. Of... I can't, I mean, like, I want to say that it's because I could tell he was a creep. And I, I, okay, I did get, I always thought he was a creep, but I think I thought he was a creep just because I didn't like him. And it's for the saddest reason, actually. Like, it's just, I was such a Jeff Tweedy partisan, you know, back then that I was like, man, you think you're so cool. Fuck you, Ryan Adams. Uh, you know, like, I perceived that he didn't show Jeff Tweedy <laughs> <laughs> the proper respect. It's so dumb. Not, enough, so, not enough deference. Yeah. It's such just a young super fan thing. So I actually thought it was because, and I don't know if you even remember this, but we tried to go see Whiskey Town at the 400 bar, and it was sold out, and there was a giant tour bus next <laughs> next to it that said Whiskey Town. Well, yeah, because I mean, doesn't that, that, that always bothered me. That, that name is just so tryhard. Well, I mean, I, I guess just logistically, like, who plays the 400 bar and has a tour bus? Right. Like, that, that has never happened before. Right. Like, most of the people that play the, the 400, which, RIP. Yeah. Was, how, would, how would you describe it? It, 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 was, it was a, it was sort of a local landmark, but it was the most poorly engineered concert venue in the Twin Cities. That place had no business being a concert venue. At, uh, it was like two railroad cars. It really was laid out like two like box cars uh, next to each other with the door open in between, and one of the box cars had a stage in it. Yeah, and the other one had the bar. So if you yeah. want, if if you were on one side of the stage, you had to walk through a sea of people to get to the bar. It was almost impossible. It was no good. But with Ryan Adams, like I don't know, it's it's this weird thing where you know, so like bad behavior in. Every industry is just being outed and outed and outed. And it has been like weirdly quiet in the music industry. You know, like, you know, that there's way more stuff under rocks than has publicly come out. And so it's, you know, like, 
this weird thing where I'm whatever or the things he did, I'm glad that's out in the open. But it makes me just kind of mad about like what is still out there. And honestly, doing this show, like I'm 70% sure that nothing's going to come out that Tweety Farrar or Hydorn did, but you never know. That's true. It, it doesn't seem like it would be in their character, but like I don't know them personally. Like I only know them through their music and their, yeah. their carefully crafted social media interactions. I yeah. don't, I've never met any of them. It's, uh, I don't know. It's it's this weird thing. It um, my my other show, Art Pal. I did an entire episode about the portrait artist Chuck Close. You know, like he's a big big deal in American painting, and he's also a just Rick. Ser- yeah, serial yeah. sexual predator. And like, you've got to decide where your line is for I don't know like. Uh, where you're going to separate the art and the artist and all that shit. And it's tougher when the people base their art around, like, I'm opening my soul up to you. Yeah. I guess I've sort of had touches of that over the years. Like, I was really, I think in my 20s, I was really into reading Hunter S. Thompson. And then I read a book about Hunter S. Thompson. And, yeah, not not all gold. you got to have at least an asterisk there next to any fandom. Well, I mean, I I was thinking, how weird is it, you know, as we're recording this, that HBO documentary, what Michael Jackson just dropped, Um, you know, and it really seems to like leave no doubt that Jackson was a serial pedophile. Between Michael Jackson and Bill Cosby, just how weird is it that like how much mental real estate in the 80s was taken up by these just fucking monsters? Yeah, and those are just the famous people. Like, yeah. Like, think of all the assholes on Wall Street and, and you know, Hollywood, everywhere. So to bring it all back, uh, Ryan Adams, part of a much larger problem, I guess. Also probably not escaping with the Jonathan Richmond, Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole defense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... <laughs> that in itself, debunked in the, laying in the gutter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, part of me then, so, like, having this long-standing beef against Ryan Adams, like, I I wish that it was the kind of thing where I could be triumphalist about, you know, like, ah! Hey, what, what, whatever happened, he gave off some vibe that you didn't pick up very early on, and you've, you've been very steadfast in your... your dismissal of Ryan Adams. Uh, you know, if, if my instincts hold, then I guess I don't know, watch out for... News about radio. <laughs> anyway, um, with that, should we should we get into some songs? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Talk about the purpose of the podcast and everything. All right, we are back with uh, Black Eye. I. I gotta say, like, we talked about this already in Wait Up. Why the hell does Jeff Tweedy sing so low through this whole album? Like, he sounds, again, like he's just scraping the bottom of his range. Like, I think when he says, here to stay, I think that's as low as his voice goes. That's like, that's his cash floor. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think Johnny Cash is part of it. Like, I think a lot of people, when they, 
when they want to dip their toe into the country music you know, pool, they try to emulate Johnny Cash. Well, and, I mean, most people can't sing that low. Uh, I, I suppose, like, you've got Cash out there as this thing to work forward, work towards. The other guy in your band is like the, you know, the vocal heir to Johnny Cash. This is true. I mean, I think, I think at this point in his career too, I think the prospect for Tweety of him singing acoustic is probably kind of scary. Um, like he's he's used to being the guy who's covered up by these wall of sound guitars. That's and, true. So it, it's probably just kind of finding his space a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. It seems like that is something he does well later on in his yeah. career. Is is just sort of sing with a with minimal accompaniment. Yeah, he really learned how to do it. I I don't feel like he knows how to do it here. I, uh, you know, like it's not he's not like shaming himself, but like if this whole album if, if this whole album was Jeff Tweedy singing, I, we wouldn't be talking about it now. Yeah, he kind of carried that. I think we talked about this another time that uh, song on AM dash seven where he really tries to go super low below his range. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work for him. You know, you can't all you can't all be Johnny Cash. That's that in many ways that's accurate. So uh, the, we're trying out some new sound gear here and I'm pleased to not pleased to note that uh, the new sound gear picks up dog noise very well. It's a long drink that you're experiencing. You're always getting a drink. Uh, back to the song. And so, I mean, like, you know, Tweety's singing low. I think, like, the production on this is interesting. It's just very nice, calm, you know, pleasant guitar parts. It sounds like there's two of them going. Discog says one is John Keen. Yeah. I don't know if the other one is Tweety. Probably. I mean, that's what it feels like. But on the other hand, I don't know how... Who his finger picking was at that point? So yeah, that's a good question. So which one do you think is keen, the fainter one or the finger picking? I assumed the fainter one, but yeah, I don't know. John Keen uh, did a lot of production work. I don't know if you looked at his bio on Discogs. Not no. But he did production work on a number of Indigo Girls and Widespread Panic albums. Oh so, yeah. Like he's got his like jam band chops. <laughs> like, he's how to bring the noise quietly. That's right. Weird, like this one, this song is also, it's out of character musically, even for this album, it's because like there's no dynamics to this at all. It's, you know, like it's not, it's not boring, but you know, usually they've either got the loud, quiet, loud, or they've got, you know, you pointed out sometimes they mess with the timing to, this one is just like, here's the thing. We're going to keep doing the thing. And it's a pleasant thing, but it's not going to change. It's almost like a poem, kind of. Like, it's just, yeah. it's it's sort of, it's the the cadence is established with that finger picking. And yeah. It, it's really just me singing it, but it's it's kind of just like, this is how I'm going to deliver this to you. Yeah. It's such a fine line between singing and slamming. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, so I, as I always do, I Googled this song and came up with uh, from a blog uh, WordPress blog called Song 365 Okay, a song a day for a year from like 2013 and this was the song that they picked and I thought this was I thought this was interesting uh, so they this this is and this is a long paragraph but it says the band sounded amazing when they were bombastic 
when they were their bombastic, chaotic selves. But I love this side of Uncle Tupelo, the side that was interested in singing quiet songs about people and places. It's that versatility that made the band so impressive. Now here's the controversial part. Black Eye is not only my favorite Uncle Tupelo song, but one of my favorite songs by Jeff Tweedy. That, I mean, everyone is entitled to their opinion. That is not a commonly held opinion, I would guess. I was trying to think of all the Uncle Tupelo and Jeff Tweedy and Wilco songs in their canon. Huge amounts of a lot of really great songs. How do you arrive at Black Eye as your favorite? You know, I guess if you have like if you have this very specific taste for finger picking and poetry, like here's your song. You know, but even then, like Wait Up is a few songs before. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, like yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah. So this is and this is why I shouldn't be allowed to Google things because I I I'm like oh a song for every day of the year. I'm gonna go back and see what some of the other songs are. Yeah. The uh, previous day's song was uh, the Django Reinhardt uh, cover of La Mer. Right on. Yeah. Did you know that that is the best-selling French song of all time? I had no idea. 4,000 different recordings, 70 million copies sold. Not (laughs) the Django Reinhardt version. Just that song. That song. Okay. So. Right on. This this is what happens when I start Googling things. I just go further and further (laughs) down the rabbit hole. So did that site, did they do it? Did they get 365 songs? They did. Uh, My hat's off to it. Like, I've started basically that project, you know, at least 15 times. And, like, I never make it more than two weeks. Yeah, it's a a lot. I would would imagine you'd have to, you'd have to have, like, like 20 of them in the can before you started just to. That would be the smart way to do it. If I start it again, that's how I'm going to do it. But keep that in mind. They also misspelled uh, Tupelo in there. Uh, What would make that worse is if somewhere else on that site they have, they mention Whiskey Town and spell it right. That's open to, you know, there's some, the spelling of whiskey differs a little bit. That is true. I've never really mastered that. Like to me, the EY looks like the right way to do it. There's probably some like whiskey snob. Do you know? Is there? I, I like how you direct. You're like, oh, is there a whiskey snob question? Let's see. <laughs> let's see if Chad wants to wait. No. <laughs> I just meant more like I'm whiskey gauche. You actually have a collection of fine whiskeys. So fine-ish whiskeys. Yeah, finer. <laughs> <laughs> I think your house is officially going to be known as Whiskey Town from now on. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Oh, back to the song. So one thing that did hit me, the you know, so like it does sound like he's kind of sing reciting a poem. Um, and like sonically and musically, this is totally divorced from their earlier stuff. But like on the lyrics level, it's right there. You know, it. The song seems to be about kind of generational cycles and like willingly stepping into established patterns without realizing you're making a choice. And that's the first two Uncle Tupelo albums, you know, over and over and over. And, you know, from what we know with Tweedy's biography presented in his memoir, that that sounds like his life or, you know, like the life he was worried about falling into. 
Yeah, that sounds like the rest of his family. I, I think that's a, and I mean, it's not necessarily only a small town thing, but but more often a small town thing where if you don't want to leave the small town, the employment prospects are limited. And yeah. We, you, sometimes you end up just doing what your family members did. Well, and I think the exposure, you know, I, my experience was the exposure to other options is much more limited. Uh, so it just doesn't occur to you to go study film or, you know, become a world-class surfer because, you know, that option is, no one mentions to you that that option is there. And if you live in a city, like you still may not have someone telling you that, but you're just, just random chance. You're more likely to stumble across like, Oh, Hey, that looks cool. What's that? Yeah, man. I just think the, that was the biggest difference that, that I noticed is just, you, you run into a lot of people whose parents, or friends do a lot of different things. Yeah. It's where I grew up in Iowa was just sort of everyone worked for the university or a, you know, something adjacent to the university. Yeah. It's, which, yeah, that, that's a different weird thing. Like, you know, it seems like it's, it'd be this cosmopolitan, like it's a university, but, you know, it's still an enclosed system. And you're dealing with the people that stay, not yeah. the... Which is, you know, I, I would say, I mean, that's the only place in Iowa I've ever grown up, but that it's probably more cosmopolitan than, I would say, the rural Iowa in terms of access to to cultural cultural activities and things like that. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't, it's not Manhattan or yeah. Chicago. It's not, you know, it's, it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you get any literal sense out of this? Like, do you... What do you think the black eye is? I guess I don't. I don't think it's a literal black eye. I think it's the. I think it's kind of the. Taking your lunch pail to work and yeah. and the black eye is not. Is not getting out. It's a black eye of the spirit. That's that's how I read it. But I, I I agree. Yeah, I thought maybe you had some like, totally one eighty take. Uh, I do not like he's like Jeff Tweedy's into cage fighting or something. <laughs> I mean, we know he is. Yeah, <laughs> clearly that's his jam. <laughs> you look at him now, you can tell. Yeah, it's a... So, I mean, the, I guess the reason I think of that is that later in the song he says, when he, when he realized that this one was here to stay, he took down all the mirrors in the hallway and thought only of his younger face. Yeah. Which has kind of got like the like a Springsteen-y type, you know, like... It's extremely Springsteen. Like, you know, Nebraska album sort of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection before, but you're totally right. It all comes back to the boss. That's why he's the boss. That's right. That and union rules. <laughs> so it's interesting, the official writing credit for this one is listed as Tweety Farrar. But, I mean, I see that, and I'm just like, no way. Maybe Farrar helped write the guitar part, but this, to me, you know, I guess I'm projecting, I'm making assumptions. This sounds very much like one man's vision. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were all in the room together when they crafted it. Yeah. So if we roll with the assumption that this is like the singular Tweety vision, and that. Uh, Criminals was the singular for our vision. You know, like, I guess that's one of the cool things about this album is it does let you, like, you can really see 
their concerns are pretty different. You know, even even if this is conceptually tied to the shit that they were both singing about on the first two albums, like this is such a different thing from anything Farrar would do. Yeah, I think it's you're starting to see the fissures in the in the kind of fabric of the band, right? Wow. Like you're seeing the like so it's a I'd never thought about it like this, but you've got all these traditional songs and then you've got just a handful of originals that are sort of showing them going in different directions. Yeah. Well, and so today when I was, you know, when I was getting in, getting into the headspace for this, I actually went and tracked down when we, when we started this album, I got all raily about a thing in Greg Cott's book where Tweedy said that, you know, March was the loudest album we ever made. And I, I just got it in my head. Like, I have to track that down. And so I ended up reading a bunch of Greg Cott's book today. And in the, the part, you know, in, in the section where they're talking about this album, they quote a bunch of people, or Cott quotes, like Tony Margarita and someone else, saying that Mike Heidorn was the social glue that held the band together. You know, and like... Losing him was like a knee losing its cartilage, you know, and suddenly the bones are mashing together. And so, like, if the fissures start to appear here, you know, that's why. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And this is yet another song on this album that has 0% Hydorn content. Is it wrong that I, I liked, I remember liking the Greg Cop book, but... I have a negative view of Greg Cop because I hate that sound opinion show that he's Oh, fuck, I hate that thing. I... I'm with you. I just never, I could never get into it. It's like, and it's like 100% in my wheelhouse, yeah. right? Like it's, it's like two intellectual people talking about music. It's like something I should be really it should into. Be great. But... She was not, was not down with it. They're not, they're not cool like us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just went from 40 listeners to 38. <laughs> But it's 38 of the right listeners, that's, damn it. That's right. Oh, do you have anything else on Black Eye? I've kind of... No, huh? but I, I feel like, you know, if we start aiming for the right listeners, we kind of have a, like, gulch-gulch situation going here where we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to recruit the best and brightest, and it's like you and I and, like, one other guy wants to live on an oil rig. <laughs> okay. I actually can relate this to the to, to the album and to stuff that I read in Greg Cott's book, though. <laughs> um, I actually, so just in terms of audience for this show, I like, you know, with, with stuff I do, I like having everything I do as a small audience, but, like, it's all, you know, I, I like doing things for small numbers of people who really get it, really appreciate it, and, you know, like, that's, that's what I'm hoping for here. That's what I was always hoping for with comics, yada, yada, yada. In that cot book, there's this part where Peter Buck is talking about making March, um, you know, and he says, like, it's the wrong album for them to make, you know, career-wise. Um, no one is going to like it. It'll be like this album that 80 people like, but those 80 people will love it. So, yeah, they were after the same game. <laughs> See, it all comes full circle. I really, I really just wanted to say Gulch, Gulch. <laughs> That was it. Uh, hey. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay, we 
are back, ready to talk about Moonshiner. Um, for my money, this is another just Uncle Tupelo Pantheon tune. Sure. Maybe the saddest thing they've ever recorded. I mean, I think it, it might be the best display of Ferrar's voice. <laughs> that is... Oh, go ahead. Is it tell, you tell me you wrote that, too. That was literally my yes. next note. Yes. <laughs> so... And, and let's just go, let's just see if you had this one as well. Like, even though this is a cover, I feel like this this group of words summarizes the Uncle Tupelo worldview. I, I agree. Yeah, they didn't write it, but it seems like they did. And it seems like they did it to showcase the J. Farrar package, voice and philosophy. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's weird because you... I, I didn't listen to the other versions. I know there are a number of them, but yeah. the, I, I've heard the Bob Dylan version of yeah. it before. And he he takes a much more like oscillating approach to it, like yeah. just sort of moving his voice around, and and I I really like the way Ferrar does it, where it's just like this like emotional expression. Yeah, of, he's he's just like putting emotions in your head like directly. Yeah, I mean, you just you feel like you feel like you're you're living it with him. Yeah, it's it, it's weird to me too because it's so like. I think this is a perfect Uncle Tupelo song, but it's just try to imagine them in no depression mode doing this. You know, like that, it just it wouldn't work. Yeah, it's like the Husker do when they were when they were wired on speed. Like you know, like sometimes you just gotta back off on the gas by forty percent. Yeah, things get a lot better. I agree. I uh. Well, the thing that's interesting, I think this one, I believe they're operating as a full band here. This is one of the one of the few ones where like everyone is playing their usual instrument, and then there's some extra stuff going on. I think this is because um, we haven't gotten to Sandusky yet, but I think this is one of the more carefully produced songs on the album. Just the way the different parts come and go, and they're balanced. Um, it's the most this is the one that's produced the most like an RM song, you know, like, like it really seems like Buck walked away from out of time and was like, okay, well, so this is how I do that. And, um, do you, uh, there's, I, I've heard before, there's a live version of this song. that's also really good. The I, live from the mountain stage. I don't know if I've heard that. It's so it, it's, this version is really, is really produced, but I think it holds up as a song when yeah. they perform it live as well. It's like it's like one of those songs I want to hear performed live. Yeah, uh, probably not going to get that, but that that would be awesome if I could. I could see, you know, I mean, you'd have to go to a modern day Jay Farrar show. This is true. I could see him throwing the throwing this down as an encore, the crowd erupting. Maybe I don't know. So just uh, the uh, Google search for this song. Yeah, it was the. June 21st, 2012, Song of the Day, as identified by the Salt Lake Tribune. <laughs> and this is my favorite part. Is This is this is what's in the Salt Lake Tribune. is like this a link to the song, and it says, It reminds me of listening to that album and time again when I was on a Coast Guard cutter <laughs> that left Hawaii and reached the Panama Canal three weeks later. So just imagine that. Like, you're... You're on a boat that's moving very slowly through like a 
third of the Earth's ocean. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the only album you have to listen to. I, I gotta say, like this this song produces very strong visual associations in my head, and none of them are the tropical Pacific Ocean. <laughs> but just think about like think about experiencing it that way. Like like you'd have so much time to focus on the nuance. That's true. You would uh <laughs> yeah. You would have digested every little bit there is. So I think it's wild. That was the Salt Lake City paper that you read that in, right? Correct. I mean, like, the, one of the first things I think of when I think of Salt Lake City is, like, they have the most restrictive alcohol laws, you know, of, of a big city. It's just, it's funny to me that, like, you know, this is a song about boozing and that wasn't, didn't yeah, come up. Yeah, you must have missed their editors. Uh, or or the edit i mean you know because like the song is we in earlier songs you know we kept having this talk about like are they glorifying alcoholism or are they just describing it and in this one no question like there's there's no part of this song that's like this is a good choice that you should make <laughs> you know so you would think I, I could see the salt lake city paper being like yeah you know see this is what you get yeah maybe you uh, think through that think they're that cunning though uh, apparently or maybe they just don't care as much as i'm projecting onto them um you know clearly it's not <laughs> on the forefront of their minds this was in 2012 it was a different time yeah those were different era um it, it is interesting that i didn't never thought i didn't think about it like that because there is the the line where they're like two dollars when i'm hard up religion when i die yeah this this song is just primed to be like you know, for a religious teetotaler to, to be like, see, the wages of sin are death. Yeah, I, I didn't even pick up on that. That's just how far gone you are. Yeah, no, I have a note here that uh, I think this is the most explicitly drinking will fuck you up song that they ever even thought of recording. Yeah, and, and that's that's a pretty lengthy list. of. Yeah. This one's unambiguous. Um, it's like being the most technical Rush song. <laughs> what What do you think is the most technical Rush song? Well, Temples of Syrinx, clearly. <laughs> um, I don't know. You, I think you have a you have a greater grasp of their full catalog. Yeah, it's still pretty weak. There's, I mean, like I, I have I have an idea, but I'm not even sure I have the name of the song right. Like La Villa Straviata or something like that. I don't. I think they're all pretty technical. They're all pretty technical. <laughs> Except for their first album. Like, their, the, the first Rush album, they sound like Black Sabbath. Like, before Neil Peart signed on. Huh. I mean, it sounds like Black Sabbath with Getty Lee singing, but... That's something I'm going to see. I'm definitely going to see that. Yeah. That's, that's the best Rush. I Oh, so, going way back to that, you know, produced, like, out of time thing. I, like, one of the touches for that... There's an album credit for Bill Holmes playing the accordion. And there's, you know, there was something in the back of this that I thought was an organ, but like just kind of looking at the credits and process of elimination, I think it must be the accordion. And that is an extremely REM 1992 move. And, you know, until seeing that today, I would never have said, oh, yeah, well, there's a, an Uncle Tupelo song with an accordion. Yeah, it's got to be the only Uncle Tupelo song that has an accordion, right? Uh, I mean, unless they did a Quiet Polka album. <laughs> Let's just hope they did. 
There's a harmonica in here, which I still maintain is just a sound effect. You don't think anyone's playing that harmonica? Oh no, I, I think I, I think Ferrar is playing no. it, but I don't think he's like intentionally playing a tune. I think he just knows that it's in key, and if he goes, it'll be in key and sound mournful, and it's a sound effect. Yeah, so I guess this is my this is my ignorance. Like, are there notes in the harmonica? There are, but it's so like. Well, you can if if you're you know if you're like god level harmonica, you can get a chromatic harmonica that has all the notes. Uh, but most of the time, you you just get them and they're in a key. And so, like the most common one is you get a harmonica that's in C, and just every you know it has all the notes. I think it has like two octaves of the C scale. And so, if you're playing a song in C, like this one is, anything you play is going to sound all right. So if you have like the like the John Popper like bandolero of, of harmonicas, are they all in different keys or? Yeah, I mean they must be, and that so that's you know, like I'm pretty far out of knowing much of what I'm talking about here. But to me, it's always seemed weird that he did that because like if his thing is like I'm the king of harmonica, then I don't know why he doesn't play a chromatic harmonica and like just have one and be able to play all the notes. You know, this would be like. Jimi Hendrix having, you know, eight guitars, each one tuned to a, you know, open tuned to a different key and so that he didn't have to work as hard. I, I don't know. So he could just bono it through the... Yeah. Uh, fuck harmonicas is my point. <laughs> it's fine yeah. here as that a sound es effect. That escalated quickly. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Do you um, own a harmonica? I own three harmonicas. Um, How many of them are chromatic harmonicas? zero of them two of them two of them are in c um there's a reason i know that you can just blow into a c harmonica playing this song and it'll sound all right what's what's the rationale for having two c harmonicas uh one of them is mine the other one was left in my guitar case by our friend grant ah. which is really gross if you think about like you know like sharing guitar is no big deal sharing harmonicas is nasty yeah, it kind of it depends what year he left it in there too. <laughs> uh, like if it's recently, that's probably that's probably less gross than like if it if it was like two thousand era. This is two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, not interested. <laughs> not, yeah. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you. So we also we spent tons and tons of time before debating, you know, whether X or Y song was a country song or not, and what made it a country song. Do you think this is a country song? So I'm going to kind of cheat on this. I I don't think it's a country song in the sense that I I think it's more it's closer to a bluegrass song than a country song. Yeah. Um, it it has a a vibe to it where I think you could play it as like a sort of a oh brother where art thou type. Piece. Oh, this is yeah, right in that alley. So. I don't know. I would not call it a country song. What What do you think? I think you're right. Um, I mean, it, it feels like country adjacent. Yeah. But, like, I don't know where the line is between country and folk. Um, it feels more folk than country. You know, and I, I, I think that's how I was describing it you know, in the 90s. But it kind of it kind of rides that that line. Like, you know, Bob Dylan does a lot of stuff that's folk and has some bents of like Nashville skyline's got a lot of yeah. country elements to it 
Yeah, it's, you know, I suppose it's more of like a continuum or a gradient than like hard line. Yeah, I think the classification system kind of breaks down on the on the margins. Yep. Another thing I was wondering, and I guess I saw a little bit of this in that in the cop book today, but, you know, so we've we've talked about the narrative that they recorded this album this way, you know, partly as a fuck you to Rockville because they weren't getting royalties and, you know, they just felt like anything goes. And then partly as a fuck you to everything sounding like Nirvana in 1992. I, but we've never looked at it from the angle of major, their major label deal. I don't know for sure. And I wish I did know if they had an offer from Sire in their pocket when they recorded this, you know, if, if they truly were like, ah, well, we, we can do whatever we want or like, or did this get them over the finish line with, with Sire? Like, I, I don't, I don't know either. I mean, my suspicion is that they probably had the offer from Sire in their back pocket, but that's just because it would be not the exact same thing, but it would be that that would be like two sort of, fluky things that happened to the same group of people yeah like again with yankee hotel foxtrot yeah where like they got dropped by their label and then somehow the the record goes gold <laughs> it's just some kind of like record industry distortion field yeah <laughs> it just seems weird that that would happen twice yeah yeah i i they must have at least had a good idea that an offer was coming or maybe they just, they also might have just known that they weren't going to re-sign with Rockville, so. Yeah, I, I think that part's pretty, I think that's pretty solidly confirmed. So it's like, you know, we're not going to sign resign with these guys anyway. Let's just do so, what we want to em. do. But I just, I wonder, like, if you are an A&R guy at Sire or, you know, one of the other majors, and, you know, you're trying to, like, convince the suits, like, no, we need to sign these guys from, from Belleville. They're great. You know, listen to this. They think they're going to be the next dinosaur junior, you know, and then they make a folk album. <laughs> Maybe undercut your sales pitch a little bit. Yeah. It would be interesting. It would either be interesting or it'd be just heartbreaking to, to see what goes on in those meetings. I'm happier not knowing how that sausage gets made. But I imagine it's a lot of it though is like, okay, we think these people could be the next X. Oh, I'm sure. And you know, here's our here's the target market we're going for. We think this is the this is what the twenty five year olds are interested in. Yeah, I don't know. I it it's I I think it would be it would be interesting and and a little terrifying. Yep. How calculated it is. I agree. I, yeah, like I said, happier not knowing. So do you agree with this song that the whole world is a bottle? <laughs> Life is just a dram. I hope not. <laughs> it seems it seems like kind of a fatalist worldview. But what uh, if you had to pick the the bleakest set of lines from this song? That would be it. Um, you don't often see like uh, you don't often see the like the world distilled into two different liquor analogies <laughs> in in two couplets, like. It's pretty impressive. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it uh, the bit about he, you know, he goes where the women can't follow to see what he spends. God bless them, pretty women. I wish they was mine. That just seems 
so much like alienation from again from half the population is just packed into those lines that like that hits me it's like jesus dude just go talk to him yeah well i mean i think it part of it too is just that like i think whoever wrote this song originally is probably like i don't know like i want to i just want to go to the bar with my friends yeah which you know like I, I don't know the person that wrote this song originally, but my guess is they spent plenty of time at the bar <laughs> with their friends. And, you know, maybe a couple nights at home wouldn't be so bad. They were out doing research. Yeah, it's, uh, it, man, it just is a bleak, bleak song. This is, yeah, I, you know, like the, the, the whole argument for Uncle Tupelo, like the elevator pitch used to be like, they'll rock you, then they'll make you cry into your beer. And this is like the beer crying song. It's like the beer crying album. Yes. So uh, another detail I got from that cop book, though, um, I, I should have reread that much sooner in this project, I guess. But uh, how dare you? I know. Um, to prepare for the coming of Uncle Tupelo, Peter Buck like stocked his house up with beer, <laughs> and then they got there, and everyone but Hydorn had quit drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so he just had a, <laughs> they just wanted chew and mountain dew <laughs> Peter Buck was stuck with a bunch of beer uh, age old age old problem yeah I don't know anything else on Moonshiner I don't think so it's a good one it's a, yeah it's a great song alright well let's uh, let's go up into some holler for a break and come on down <laughs> back uh song three i wish my baby was born what do you think of this one i think it's the robocop two <laughs> of uncle Tupelo songs this is uh this is not my favorite it's uh i mean like what so, so i mean it does have like it has a cool mandolin part in it that yeah. almost sounds like a sitar i i think the the best argument for this song is as like a brian henneman mandolin showcase yeah i was wondering if it was him that was playing the mandolin that's that's what's credited so like that's that's impressive that he learned to play the mandolin for this album well, and that's what you get like that man is good with stringed instruments but uh I just in the you know if you're gonna if you're gonna release an album with a bunch of covers or traditional songs on it, this seems like an odd inclusion. Yeah, I I, I guess you know Tweety must have just loved it. I don't know. And and so this is from this along with Warfare and Satan Your Kingdom Must Come Down. It's from a compilation called High Atmosphere that I guess they were listening to a bunch. I don't know, you know, like that. I mean, how would they feel then if some other band took three songs from this album <laughs> and covered them all? On? I don't have a serious beef with that, but it it always has struck me as a little weird. Like, I mean, part of it probably is they were looking for acoustics. They probably didn't have that many acoustic-only songs to play. Sure, I don't know. They're record store guys. They can go over to the folk <laughs> section and buy two other records. Two other compilations. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's interesting. Um, Discogs has this one listed as a 
Jay Farrar and Jeff Tweedy composition, which no way. Yeah, so the song is, it's actually a traditional song, um, or at least chunks of a traditional song. You know, according to my in-depth Wikipedia research, <laughs> um, you've got, it, it, you know, in different forms, it's gone by different titles, like A Brisk Young Sailor Courted Me, or Bold Young Farmer, The Ale House, and Died for Love. Uh, you know, but it's all kind of the same song, just showing different facets. And this is another one with like a thousand recorded versions floating around out there. So I guess I can see Tweety liking the liking the I'm no saint, nor I never shall be. Like that sounds kind of like Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Um, to, you know, like so that's kind of a cool line. Like that I'm no saint, nor nor I never shall be till the sweet apple grows from the sour apple tree. Like, I can see him getting into that. Yeah. But, as you say, like, I, I feel like if <laughs> if the bonus tracks are are not objectively terrible, <laughs> there's an editing problem. Yeah, I... It's a weird choice. I, uh... So, it's funny, like, the, those lyrics you singled out, you know, I saw... I was looked at the lyrics of a bunch of different versions, and this is one where the lyrics, of course, change with every person that records it. So sometimes that verse is there, sometimes it's not. The point of view seems to kind of shift. In the original version, if it's a brisk young sailor courted me, it's the woman singing. The version Tweety's singing, it's the woman's, you know, not clear if her husband or just lover singing. It's weird to me, like, that's a big shift. Like, I can see, like, verses coming and going, but, like, changing the whole point of view of the song seems like a... And I, I don't know if that's what Tweedy did or, you know, if that happened further upstream from him and he's just receiving what he heard. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting interesting thing. I, I wonder what, I guess I wonder what the other songs were on this compilation. Like, yeah, is this the third best song on the compilation? <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, lots of questions there. I So I think it's wild. The point of view shifted, but the song is still fundamentally about a woman's suffering. And what is it? Why are like 70% of folk songs about, you know, just shitty things happening to women? You know, there's this whole like body of murder ballads and we've got another one of those coming That's up. That's right. Like, what, I, I mean... I, you know, I guess the answer is right there in the question, but just holy shit, if you stop and look at it. That... It it does seem like this genre of music like like has just a couple themes yeah. that, that they like to go back to. It's like a time traveling Lars von Trier that can like help write the rules. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Weird shit. I uh I, I know I drag Bowie into everything, but just reading about how this version there is an outgrowth of this older folk version that keeps changing. Um, this reminds me of on, on Bowie's last album, you know, there's that song, Tis a Pity She Was a Whore, where he took lines from an old play and turned them into lyrics and, you know, made like probably the best song he recorded in the last 20 years of his life. You know, just really like took something old and just spun it into gold. Uh, you know, and this is an example of the other way that can go. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's like the opposite of what you're trying to do with alchemy, right? It's like you start with lead and you, instead of getting gold, you get something worse than lead. 
I I don't know. You know, so I mean, you were talking earlier about the the person who said that Black Eye was not only their favorite Uncle Tupelo song, but maybe their favorite song. I wonder if there's anyone on the planet who is going to go to bat at that level for I Wish My Baby Was Born. I, I doubt it. Maybe. Maybe that person exists. <laughs> I, you know, there's so many weird people in the world that, that maybe there is that person. There's got to be somebody. I mean, honestly, like my main, you know, I don't know. Like for me, with a lot of songs the song is tied up in memories, you know, like I have memories associated with just more songs than I can count for this song. The, the memory I have is sitting in a dorm room in Morris, drinking cheap beer and being disappointed at how bad the song is like, that's it just, I don't know. This is, yeah, I mean, I, I'd just say, for example, if you were on a Coast Guard cutter uh, that left Hawaii and reached the Panama Canal three weeks later, this probably wouldn't be your favorite song. <laughs> so I'd be like, think of how much that guy must have hated this song. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this works as a palate cleanser. You know, like they seem to do that. Yeah, a refresh. Yeah. Just... You just you lighten up the engagement a little bit so that you can go back in. Actually, they do that a lot after intense songs, like have the palate cleanser. Yeah, it seems to be a, a, a reoccurring theme for them to kind of... It, it's kind of like when we, uh, it, as a test, we did the first three songs of Copper Blue. Yeah. Maybe they did the first four songs. I remember. But it was the the first two are just rockers, and then there's like kind of a reset. Okay. Yeah. And I... Maybe that's just... I don't know. Maybe that's a song sequencing lesson that you just have to learn. In researching this, I did find a an app that I think that uh, you'll be interested in. It's called Who Sampled. Okay. It gives you a list of all the covers of a given song, as well as the tracks okay. where the song is sampled. Okay. So it's like, it's like essentially another nail in the coffin of the music dick, right? Like who, who had the initial version? Yeah. And so like this app will tell you. Can you imagine if you were just like talking to somebody that you didn't know, you know, you're just idly chatting about music and they pull their phone out and they're like, well, actually that you're know, like, <sighs> would that be any weirder than the people that do that? Like just in conversation. I, I so I mean, like, I feel like there's, Oh, you didn't know this was a cover. <laughs> well, I feel like there's a graceful way that can be done gracefully. Kind of. It's never been done gracefully to me. It's Oh, it's always, you're an idiot because you, <laughs> You didn't realize this is a cover song. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be done, but it, nine times out of ten, it's just shitty and bad. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, you know, like when we will occasionally, like, be throwing shit out, surprising each other, you know, in the course of the show. Like, I, I think there's a spirit where you can be like, no, you didn't know that? Come on. Well, no, because even when I did that, I sounded like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just the, uh, I don't know, it's the, it's the, like, well, actually, this song is in the key of A. Yeah. Actually, I don't remember asking. Well, the word, yeah. <laughs> if the word actually is in there, no good. And if you're pulling your phone out, not even, like, like, it's bad if you're pulling your phone out to look something up on Wikipedia in a browser. But if you've got a special app dedicated to being <laughs> a music pick, that's... 
That's heightened. That's this next is, level. This is why it's too bad that Google Glass went away. Because <laughs> like, I could just be sitting here looking up that, oh, like, fuck. looking up these, like, factoids about music to stump you. <laughs> there's a there, there's some, like, nightmarish parallel universe where Google Glass didn't go away and that's going on. I don't want to live in that universe. So, I think you might, aren't you the only, I mean, you might be the only person I know who knows somebody who had the Google Glass, there right? Is, yeah, he was enthusiastic about it too. Um, I imagine he was, so a, a friend of mine who was a uh, journalism technology guy at the University of Nebraska was just nuts about Google Glass and was always like hosting selfies of himself, wearing them and doing the like, ain't I a dorky? Ha ha. He must have been pretty sad when they also also hard to pull that off without coming off like a bottle. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't even think there's a one in ten success rate on that. It's I like, don't know. It's like being like, "Hey, check out my Maserati." <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sure is a pain to wash this every morning. <laughs> the gas mileage is shit. All right. Um, on that note, I. Honestly, like, it's hard to come up with more to say about this song because there's not much there. And, like, it feels like you're being mean to, <laughs> you know, a spider web. <laughs> it, it It's on just the sequencing that we've applied here of the three songs. It's unfortunate that it falls at the end. Yeah. Because I feel like it, it, it absorbs a lot of our wrath. Well, so there, okay, there is, actually, I did remember a thing. So with Moonshiner, we were talking about, like, what is it? Is it country? Is it not country? This one, I think, is pretty solidly... No jury in the land is going to argue anything other than this is a folk song. I was going to say shoegaze. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know what that word means. Straight but I, out I, of Manchester. I, I just like saying that. <laughs> well, I think you could argue that, by definition, anything Jay Farrar plays is a form of shoegaze. No, but so, okay, this song as folk song, I... That did get me thinking just about like the weird baggage that gets attached to folk song. And one thing that I remember, like I don't know why, but one of the stupid things I remember from Atlas Shrugged is that for some goddamn reason, you know, because she's an idiot, um, at some point Rand parks the narrative of Atlas Shrugged to rail against folk music. You know, and like her books always have like the straw man bad guys who you know like just exist to do things she doesn't approve of and the transparent communists yeah yeah and so one of them like tries to make a rule that all songs have to be folk songs (laughs) like what is it about folk music that inspires such wrath yeah i think if if you're gonna try to unpack uh ayn rand in this podcast we're gonna be here for a while yeah that's probably (laughs) I, i i guess I guess I'll just leave it by saying I don't think we like this song that much. This might be the rare case where we agree with Iron Rand. Yeah, it, it makes me disappointed that I've never finished uh, Atlas Shrugged. <sighs> I don't know if you should be able to call yourself a voting adult. <laughs> hey, if you're going to put a 70-page rant in the in the middle of your book, like I'm going to stop reading it. Like That's just not... It's not productive for me. Oh, you missed all the great parts after that. That's when it really gets good. Oh, no, I don't know. You got anything else? I I do not. All right, let's wrap her up. 
Thank you for very much for listening to us ramble. Uh, I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. You can find me on Twitter at, at Cook6252. And please look us up and let us know what you're thinking. Uh, you know, fight with us about Ayn Rand or folk music. Uh, please, please fight with Keith about Ayn Rand. I do not have the mental energy to fight people, <laughs> fight objectivists. Also, if you are the one person who wants to go to bat for I Wish My Baby Was Born as the Great Uncle Tupelo song, please, like, call me out. Let's do this. If you dug the show, please tell people about it. You know, um, small but dedicated audiences. What we're shooting for. Uh, or go to iTunes or Google Play and leave a review. Thanks, and we will talk to you again soon.